Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Vorst, and I'm your host for the show. I'm also one of the pastors at Life Church, and I want to thank you for listening today. Uh, if you would like to contribute to the effort of Life Church Canton, I want to invite you to go to our website at lifechurchcanton.org/give. When you give to Life Church Canton, it makes a tremendous impact in the lives of other people, and there's tons of information on that site. So I want to invite you to go and look at that right now. Also, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast, and we hope that this content has been meaningful to you. And if it has, I want to encourage you to share it with somebody else that might be able to be impacted by this as well. Also, if there's other kinds of information, other kinds of content that you would like to hear about on a podcast, don't be afraid to reach out to me over my email at jared.vanvorst at lifechurchcanton.org. And I'll put my email on the show page so you can have easy access to it. Today, you're going to hear a sermon from me. I'm one of the pastors and got an opportunity to teach uh, to the letter, uh, the letter to the Ephesians. And that is part of our series that we've been doing all summer long. We're in chapter 5, starting in verse 21, where we talk about household relationships. And so I hope you enjoy the sermon today and that you're challenged by it as well. Without further ado, here's the sermon. Thank you for worshiping with us and welcome to Life Church. My name is Jared and I'm one of the pastors and I'm so excited to be together in this way. I know we're, we're charging through with this digital experience, but uh, hopefully you've been gaining a lot of, of understanding, but also we hope that your life has been transformed as a result of these experiences. And I would say this too, if you have been impacted in any way, would you do me a favor and go ahead and share this live experience with somebody else on Facebook, and they might uh, get something out of this as well. And then if you're listening later uh, on the podcast, uh, we hope you are able to just be encouraged and, and uh, continue to experience Uh, God's love in your life as well. Uh, I'm glad we're here together. We're in a series called Ephesians, and we've been going through this letter to the the people in Ephesus that was written 2,000 years ago, but it still applies to us today. And so I want to invite you, if you have a Bible right where you are, to open up to the letter to the Ephesians and follow along with us. We're going to be in chapter 5, verse 21, and starting in just a moment. But first, I have a question for you. I want you to think about this, and actually, I want you to get ready to type this into the comments, because my question is this, is how has this experience, COVID, how has it changed the way that you interact with the people that are closest to you? Maybe the people that are sitting right next to you as you're watching this or listening to this. How has this experience changed the way that you interact with the people that are closest to you? Would you say that you love them more or love them less? Now, if the answer is less, don't answer that right now. Don't put that in the comment section. Maybe some of you, if you're with other people, you've been annoyed by certain things. Maybe uh, certain things have come out that you never realized actually angered you. Like for me, for instance, I apparently suffer from this thing called misophonia. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's this uh, agitation with noises. So like, I've always sat in the back role of the theater when I go to watch movies because I don't want anybody sitting behind me chomping away at their popcorn. Well, now, living in close quarters with my family, I've got three young children, and every morning they get their bowl of cereal, and it's 
chomping in stereo sound all around me, and I can just feel my heart rate start to go up, and so I have to leave the room. Maybe there's something like that in your home right now where there's just something that annoys you and you never realized it until this moment. Maybe it could be small things. Maybe it's bigger things. Maybe for you that live by yourself, has this been like a paradise? Are you an introvert? Are you just like, let's just keep this going. I love just being by myself and stuck at home. Maybe you have enjoyed this or maybe not. Maybe you've been alone and, and it's actually been the worst and you've just been longing for community. And maybe it's, it's been actually hard on relationships because you felt isolated. Or maybe, maybe you're a student. Maybe you finished, uh, or you thought you were going to finish middle school and high school, and then you didn't, and that's changed sort of the rhythm of your day, and maybe you didn't get to experience graduation, and that's been different. Maybe you just missed your friends. Maybe you miss homework. I don't know. Maybe. And so this has changed your relationships as well. My sense is that when we're hit with a global crisis like COVID-19, that all of us, in, in a sense, have begun to evaluate the status of our relationships, how we relate to one another. And that's actually really important for those of us who consider ourselves followers of Jesus because actually it talks about this a ton in the New Testament that our relationships with one another are a direct reflection of our relationship to God. And so let me rephrase the question in a slightly different way. Does the way that you've interacted with people that are closest to you, does that look more like Jesus or less? If you feel comfortable, you can comment on that as well. Because here's the thing, we're going to be talking about those relationships, those, those close-knit relationships that we have maybe within our households. We're going to be talking about that today because as Paul has been talking through this letter, he started with talking about this relationship that we have with God because of the work that happened in Christ and through Christ. And because of that, you and I, we get union with God. And it's beautiful and it's amazing. It gives us freedom to live the life that he's called us to live. But now also that affects this relationship that we have with one another in the church, right? And so we we seek unity, but that means that we have to change some things within ourselves, change the way that we live, change our behaviors even. And as Pastor Daniel talked about it, we, we've got to become imitators of Christ. We've got to look like Christ, which is why I've asked you, does the way that you've interacted with the people closest to you, does that look like Christ? Does it look like Jesus? Well, now we're about to turn yet another corner, and we're going to talk about some relationships that are close to us. Those are really important relationships. Those are our primary relationships. Now, I need to give you a bit of a heads up because some of the passages that we're going to read are maybe going to feel a little off, especially if you're newer to the Bible. I'm not going to use a phrase that we've used before, and actually we used it at the very beginning of this series. Context is what? King. Context is king. We have to understand that we live in a world in 2020 that looks very different than the world that Paul finds himself in 2,000 years ago in first century Ephesus. So I want us to be careful not to project 
our modern idea of the world and concept of relationships onto what we see in the Scriptures and then expect it to look and feel the exact same way. Now, we're going to capture the essence of what Paul is telling us and, and draw that out to what's relevant for us to today, but we have to understand at face value, it might just look a little bit weird or a little bit even disappointing to some of you if you are newer to the Bible, but their culture is different than ours, and the way that they see the world is different than the way that we see the world. So what I, what I don't want to have happen is for us to be going through this and for you to say, well, that doesn't really apply to me, and so I'm just going to check out. No, stay tuned. Because I think what we need to find in here is the essence of what God is calling us to in those relationships that are close, that are primary in our lives. We just have to do a little bit of interpretive work. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to start in chapter 5, verse 21. And again, if you do have a Bible, I'd invite you to follow along with me. Grab a pen and put some notes right there in your Bible if you'd like to, because that sometimes is helpful as you grow in your understanding of the Scriptures. So let's start. Verse 21. And further, I'm going to stop there. Like, oh, come on, we're never going to get through this sermon. No, and further. Just a little reminder, whenever we see phrases like and further or therefore or and so, we have to think, okay, Paul is grabbing something from before and then going to take us into the next section. So and further, we have to look back and talk about what he's talking about in terms of what came before what's about to come next. And what came before is what we talked about last week. And Nathan talked about living by the Spirit's power. And when the Spirit is within us, when we are filled with the Spirit, it changes the way that we live and the way that we see the world and the way that we see our relationships. And so now and further, right, we have to look at this next part through the lens of what came before. In order for us to move forward, all of that has to be read through the lens of being filled with the Spirit. So if we're filled with the Spirit, then further, this next part, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. All right, we're done. I can pack it up. We can go home. We can be done, right? There's more to it than that. But honestly, we could just end the sermon right there and that would be enough. But Paul is about to tell us more. But first, I want to talk about this passage for just a second. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, that sounds fine, but again, in our context, we don't like that word submit. That sounds like you're trying to control me. That sounds like I don't get to be in charge anymore. And, and we especially feel that in our culture, which is very individualistic. It's very much about me and my feelings and my preferences. Don't you dare mess with my preferences. So to see this... This idea of submission it rubs against us in a wrong kind of way. There's a negative connotation with this word submission, but I think it's important that we read it in all of its context. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We have to see it through that lens, and we're only going to be able to do that if we're living with the power of the Spirit within us. And so, if we recognize what Christ has done, we'll submit to one another out of reverence for him as a reflection of who he is in order to look like Christ. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like Jesus, who's the Son of God, getting down and serving 
at washing his disciples' feet, which was actually the job of a slave. That's submission. It, it, it looks like Jesus, right before he's about to be crucified, in the garden, praying in agony, reaching out to his Father and saying, God, not my will, but yours be done. That's submission. It looks like Christ going to the cross when he has the power to simply remove himself and to run away from the crowd, and yet he goes to the cross out of obedience, Paul says in another letter, to God and to God's will. That's submission. See, we need to redeem these words that have become perverted in our modern and individualistic culture. Submission is not a controlling negative word. No, it's actually a word that brings about beauty. I'm going to give you just a real simple illustration to think about this. I want you to hold your hand in a fist. If you're watching right now, I want you to do this. If you're listening, you can't see me, but just grab your hand, hold it into a fist, a tight fist, and hold it there for really uh, maybe just a few seconds and hold it there and, 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 and hold it strongly. And I want you to think about this idea that I need to be in control and I need to be the master of my domain and my preferences are ultimately what matters. And then I want you to realize that when we live in reverence, for Christ, actually submission looks like letting go of that strain and that addiction to control, or at least the illusion of control. And I want you to feel that hand as it releases and feel the sort of weightlessness of that and the freedom of that. See, actually, submission is freedom. In our culture, it's harder for us to see that, but out of reverence for Christ, to reflect Christ, submission actually is a benefit to living in freedom and allowing one another to flourish. This is the crux of everything that we're about to talk about from here on out. Let's go on because Paul's about to get really explicit in those relationships that are closest to us. Verse 22, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now again, this might be one of those verses to you, uh, if you're newer to the Bible, that feels a little outdated, maybe even a little archaic, but I want to talk about this for just a second. I've actually seen it in some cases where husbands have been actually really excited to read these verses, and they're just like, yes, finally, awesome. And some of you husbands right now, you're looking over at your wives, and you're like, say, see, see, look at it, see, and you want to just, you know, close the Bible, you want me to end the sermon right now, and then just say a quick prayer, and then we can go on to the last song, but that's not going to happen because there's more, and you know there's more. And see, actually, in some unfortunate situations, I've seen it where I've counseled husbands and wives, and they'll look to verses like these as justification for abuses to control their wives. But see, again, it's not about control. Submission is actually about allowing one another to flourish. And so wives, you have a role in such a way that you submit to your husbands and love them and respect them and honor them, allowing them to flourish. And this actually isn't an archaic thing so much in that culture. This is actually a radical idea in that culture because you had one of two extremes 2,000 years ago in Ephesus. In some cases, you have women that are treated like 
property, but Paul humanizes them. And in other cases, in Ephesus specifically, you have female-led cults, which was all kinds of weird pagan practices where females were dominating men, and that wasn't healthy. And so Paul is actually finding a radical middle ground for wives within a marriage. Submit to them. Submit to them. But see, there's more for husbands. So husbands, tune in. Verse 25, for husbands, this means you love your wives just as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He gave up his life for her. That's a bigger call. That's a weighty call, husbands. (laughs) This is huge. See, in a sense, you are leading her, but leadership doesn't look like leadership in the world where you just push everybody lower so that you can become elevated. No, leadership in the lens of Christ actually looks like sacrifice, coming low, sitting beneath, allowing her to flourish. It's opening up that hand again and empowering her to be the woman of God that she has been called to be as well. See, again, I think it's important that I say this here, and I'm going to say it again, but within Paul's context, there is a sense of hierarchies that exist. And so Paul only can see the world through that lenses, and there was even hierarchy between men and women, but Paul is actually beginning to break that down a little bit through the lens of Christ. See, actually, when you love your wife, Like Christ loved the church, you, in a sense, are dying to yourself for her needs. This isn't about bullying. This isn't about abusing. It's not that kind of leadership. Leadership looks like sacrifice. It looks like taking the initiative to show what servanthood looks like. I remember my wife and I, we were just talking about this the other day, that we've been married for, I think, 14 years. I should remember that. 14 years, and I can remember back to when our pastor married us, and then the premarital counseling, one of the things that he said that we'll always remember is you should get, but get to the end of your day and be able to say, I want to outserve you. I want to outserve my spouse. I want to do everything throughout the day where I just, I laid it all on the table. I did everything that I could to serve them and to allow them to flourish and to become a better version of themselves. And then it becomes almost this competition of wanting to serve one another, but out of love, out of reverence for Christ. That thought has always stuck with me. So husbands, you have a big job, but here it doesn't, it doesn't just end there. See, actually, husbands get a much larger section of Scripture devoted to them and their responsibility than the wives do. I'm going to read on. So when you love your wife, you're, what you're doing is to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's Word, it says in verse 26. Let's continue to read verse 27. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds it 
cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. So I say again, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is a a whole lot here, and there's provision, and there's this idea of allowing her to flourish, and it's this idea of having genuine love for yourself and love for her, and that the two are are equal in a sense. But then one of my favorite verses is this idea of a mystery. Some of you who've been married a long time are like, yeah, this has been a bit of a mystery. But there's beauty in that mystery as well. And this idea that the union that you share with your wife or your husband is actually a greater illustration for something that God is ultimately wanting to do with the world. That there's actually a marriage between Christ and his church. The church is the bride, Christ is the groom. And then even beyond that, there's a bigger picture, there's a bigger wedding that we see in Scripture where God brings his space and our space together. We've talked about this before, where heaven and earth are united. We get this picture of a wedding banquet, and it's a party in Revelation. When God makes his home among his people. See, actually, I got to do a ton of weddings at the last church I was at. Like a wedding every weekend, every summer. And one of the favorite things that I got to do was to give just a short message to the couple. And most of the time, they didn't listen to anything else I had to say. They were just sort of staring in each other's eyes, just ready to kiss one another and ready to get to their party. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to give them this idea that what they're doing is actually bigger than just this moment. And it's bigger than them. And I would would talk about this idea of a mystery and the union and God's plan for Christ being married to the church and heaven being united with earth. And so I begin to talk about this with the couple and I'd say, see, actually this moment isn't just about you. What you're doing is really important because what you're doing is you're putting on display just a preview, just a glimpse of what God ultimately wants to do with heaven and earth. The entire universe matters. And this is a picture of that right now. It's not just for you, but it's for all the people that are watching. And it's beyond just your wedding day. See, your whole marriage now is a reflection of what God wants to do with all of creation. And sometimes that in that moment, that was like the moment where the couple stopped looking at each other and all of a sudden they're looking at me like, what? That's like a big deal. They had this like deer in headlights look. And it's almost like I just, I just got their attention for just a moment. And you could see this idea in their eyes that, wow, th- this is a big deal. Marriage is a big deal. Think about this idea that you're married, not just for yourself, but for something greater. And I actually have a question for you if you're married right now. Married couples, are you using your marriage to put God's plan on display? That's a big question, a heavy question. See, I think sometimes our marriages, if, and then if we have kids too, our marriages is sort of glorified roommates after a while. 
We just kind of do life together. We sometimes travel together. We both work together, maybe, or separately, or, or maybe we're just a glorified chauffeur for our kids, and we just go around, and we just sort of function as friends. And that's a part of it, yeah. But there's so much more, almost at, at like a cosmic level, that what you're doing for the world is putting on display God's plan for all of creation, for heaven and earth to be united as one. Paul has high expectations for this relationship. We're going to move in a different direction now. We're going to talk about kids. So if your kids are in the room, kids, you can pay attention right now. I'm going to chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents. Yes and amen. Hallelujah, right? Because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. There's a little bit we need to talk about here. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get everything that you want or all of the Christmas presents or birthday presents are going to go, uh, come your way just because you honor your mom and dad. That's not necessarily what that's talking about. But there is this unique relationship that you have with your parents. And if there's honor involved, especially in a culture like this, where honor and shame were very big deals, if there's honor involved, that relationship can be really, really solid. Some of you have really good foundational relationship with your mom or your dad or parents to your kids. And there's something beautiful and unique about that. And it's a privilege. Absolutely, it's a privilege. Some of you are not really sure what to do with this one. Some of you kids, you think about your parents and maybe, maybe that's not a healthy relationship. And so you're trying to figure out what does honor look like in that experience. Maybe there's been some abuses that have happened and you just feel like you're told, well, just honor your father and mother. And that can be challenging. What for you, for if you're struggling with your family, you're struggling with your mom or your dad, and, and maybe it's really hard to know how to honor them in that way, I want you to know that as you struggle with that, that you do have a heavenly Father who loves you dearly. And whatever abuses and challenges that have taken place in your home, that that's not a reflection of what your heavenly Father is like. And so if that's you, I, I just want to pause for just a moment and invite you to, to pray or to ask for help, to ask for prayer as well, to, to begin to have new eyes for what a godly father, the eternal father, how he relates to you. It goes on to talk to fathers. It says, fathers, in verse 4, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Nothing about mothers. Doesn't say anything about them. So again, we got to talk to the dads in the room. And I think it's interesting, actually, that he begins to talk about anger. It's not just sort of this generic, hey, dads, love your kids. No, actually, don't provoke them to anger. I feel like in this moment, Paul is in my head or reading my mail. Because this is the very thing that I wrestled with as a dad. When I first became a dad, 
was just constantly tired all the time. And then, and then uh, twins came along, and then we've got three kids under the age of two, and they're in diapers, and they're running around all over the place, and I've got crying in stereo sound now, and, and we're trying to get sleep, but we're trying to work, we're both trying to work. The bank account is low almost every day, and so we're trying to relate to one another and love one another, and we just have constant uh, miscommunication and anger towards one another, but for me specifically begin to feel this rage where I almost felt like I don't even know if I love my family anymore. This moment of I just want to give up. And I sometimes would take that anger out on my family. And then as they begin to grow up and I would see them interact in challenging situations and, and all of a sudden they became angry. And, and immediately I would think, well, where did that come from? Why are they acting that way? Oh, yeah. They learned it. They learned it from me. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. See, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ and feeling like you need to be in control all times or at least the illusion of control. It doesn't just hurt you, it hurts the people around you. And so once again, out of reverence for Christ, we submit to one another. And it means we treat our kids in such a way that allows them to flourish, allow them to become the people that God is creating them to be. I want to ask you one last question. Parents or kids, how do you experience honor? How do you experience honor? What does honor look like in your relationship right now? And if your kids are old enough to type, old enough to read, I would invite kids. What does that look like? Parents, what does it look like to discipline your kids with love? Go ahead and comment in that section. We're going to read on. Verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. What? <laughs> that seems like it took a really weird turn, doesn't it? it especially if you're newer to the Bible. And I said a few minutes ago that some of this was going to look a little outdated, a little archaic, and maybe even confusing and disappointing. This is one of those sections, at least in my opinion. When I first came across this, I was just like, yeah, let's just not talk about that one. But it's there. What do we do with that? Let me unpack this for just a moment. You, you might think, okay, uh, I, we were just talking about 
husbands and wives. We were talking about kids and parents, and all of that makes sense. Yeah, of course, those are people that are closest to us. Uh, why slaves and masters? But see, here's the thing. In the ancient world, this is just a part of everyday life. Slavery uh, was very much a part of that world. Paul is writing in a context that only he understands. He actually can't imagine a world without slavery. And so he's working within a system that is already there and trying to speak to that system. See, I mentioned this before, and I'll mention it again. There are hierarchical structures within this society. And while you and I might right now feel like, well, that's not right and that's not okay, that's simply the context that Paul understands. And what he's doing is he's beginning to challenge some of those hierarchies while still working within them. Slavery, unfortunately, was part of those hierarchical structures. And so Paul begins to work within that. Now, I need to make this clear as well, that slavery in ancient Rome is very different than what we see in American history. It's very different than race-based chattel slavery, where people are stolen from land, separated from their families, abused, raped, and killed in an extremely unfortunate situation. We don't even have a number how, for how many people have been murdered as a result of the slave trade. Very different versions of slavery. Now, that's not to mean that slavery in the ancient world wasn't harsh. It was, and many conditions were very threatening in some cases, and we even read that, and we're going to get to that in just a second. But also, slaves were part of the household in some cases. And so, Paul is speaking to the entire household and how those relationships should work. But it didn't make slavery any easier. I'll just give you an example of some of the things that were uh, required for slaves. They could not represent themselves in legal matters. They were subject to seizure and arrest in ways that freed persons were not. Their occupation was determined by their master. They had to live where their master decided. But even in some cases, they could become free. But also in some other cases, they were abused. They were threatened. What Paul's doing here is actually still radical. Even though you and I in our modern context don't feel that way right now. It, it still is radical in that Paul humanizes slaves. They, they still have worth in the eyes of Paul because of his reverence for Christ. And even more so, he has a very, very clear critique for masters. See, masters, you are to not threaten them. You are to treat them equally, in the same way, he says. But even remember this, you both have the same master in heaven. And so when he says that, what Paul is doing is beginning to break down their idea of hierarchy. And he finishes with this. God has no favorites. There's no favorites. And this takes us actually all the way back to the beginning where we started, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Why? Why Christ? Why are we open-handed to Christ? It's because in all of these situations, Christ is like a good husband. 
the groom, the best husband. Christ is like a good father, which is why we see a lot of language around God being a father who gives good gifts to his children, who loves them as he finds them, right? We sang about that. God is like a good master, not one that exploits, but one that brings freedom and flourishing. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. How do we do this? I want to give you some very practical action steps just for this week. I want to talk to husbands and wives. I want to tell you what my pastor that married me and my wife told us. Outserve one another. Serve one another. What I mean by that specifically is do something this week that they wouldn't normally be expecting, but that you know they would love. Don't do it for anything in return, but simply to allow them to flourish. I don't know what that's going to be for you. I don't even want to name specific options because every marriage is different. You know what that thing is. You know what he loves. You know what she loves. Do it not for your benefit, but for theirs. Serve your spouse. Number two, I'm going to talk to parents and kids. Kids, honor your mom and dad. If you're just living with one, or maybe you're living with a grandma or grandpa, whoever is in your household that's in charge, find a way to honor them. Maybe if it, if it takes them like three or four or five or 50 times to give you an instruction, maybe do it on the first one. But even more importantly, parents, you have a responsibility to model Christ to your kids. You do. Leadership as a parent is a great responsibility. You need to model that for them. I want you to tell them that you love your kids this week. Maybe you tell them that a million times, and that's great. Keep doing that. But even more specifically, I want you to tell them why. Tell your kids why you love them. See what that does. See what that does in their eyes and in their demeanor. And then lastly, I've talked about marriages. I've talked about kids. We've got this section on slaves and masters. I'm not going to seek out some sort of a modern-day equivalent of what that would look like. So instead, what I want you to do is when we come against harder passages like this, I want to invite us to learn more, to grow in our understanding of what God is up to in our world today and what we do with injustices that we see around us. So what I want you to do is I want you to read the blog. Read the blog. We're going to post uh, a link, and you can click on that link and, and read the blog, and it's actually going to be this really great article learning just about the history of slavery in the Bible. And begin to grow in your understanding of context. But then also, I want you to be challenged for how you can participate in standing against the injustices that we still see today. Submit to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. I want to finish by reading a section of Ephesians as to why this is such a beautiful endeavor that you and I get to participate in. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. All of us used to live in a way that gratified the nature of our sin. We all used to hold control. We followed the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. And by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ because that's what he's done for us. I want to invite you to pray along with me as we close. Some of you don't know Christ. This is what he was willing to do for you. And so I want you to pray along with me. And you might pray in your own words something like this. God, I don't know that I know you. I don't know you like a father. I don't know you like someone who truly, genuinely loves me as you find me. But God, I'm, I'm hearing that you are willing to do whatever it takes and to go wherever it took you all the way to the cross to give me new life. And so God, I call out to you today. I want to love you because I know that you love me. No matter who I am, no matter what I've done, no matter where I came from. And then God, I want you to guide me in my relationships. I want to allow others to flourish and become better versions of themselves. God, give us your spirit so that we can submit to one another out of reverence for your son, Jesus Christ.